Well, I want to welcome those of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus and those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus and those who are watching online. We are really glad to have you with us. We are one church in uh, two locations. We've got another campus about 20 minutes away from here, and I'd like to encourage you to visit the campus closest to you and see what God is doing in our great church. We have been in a series, if you're just joining us for the first time, we have been in a series that we've called Stumped, and it's dealing with the four biggest questions of life, and you know what those are now. They're who, why, what, where. And in case you've been uh, out and haven't really been a part of this, to be specific, we've been trying to give biblical answers to these questions. Who am I? And how did I get here? Why am I here? What is right and wrong? And how do I know? And then today, where do I go after I die? We're going to deal with that very last question. Now, let me just be fair. There are people, and I've heard from them, in fact, I've talked with one individual. There are people who think I've been given the wrong answers to some of these questions. And uh, there are people that say, no, you know, they, as a matter of fact, uh, there are some people that believe that there can be more than one right answer to these questions. And, and it's true that sometimes it does appear that there can be more than one right answer to questions that would seem to have only one. As a matter of fact, I came across an examination of a student that took an exam, and this student made a zero. Didn't get one question right, made an absolute zero. However, when you examine the, 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 the test more closely, he really could have made a hundred because he gave answers that at least on the surface, they were right, but they really weren't right because they were not the answers that the professor was looking for. So I'm, I'm going to throw these up on the screen, and then I just want to ask you, if you were the teacher, how would you have graded this student on the following questions and the answers that he gave? For example, here was a question. In which battle did Napoleon die? His answer, his last battle. <laughs> Seems right. Here's one. Um, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom of the page. River Ravi flows in which state? Liquid. Seems right. What is the main reason for divorce? Marriage. I mean, you know, what can you never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner. What looks like half an apple? The other half. How can a man go eight days without sleeping? No problem, he sleeps at night. How can you lift an elephant with one hand? You'll never find an elephant that only has one hand. Well, seems right. If you had three apples and four oranges in one hand, and four apples and three oranges in the other hand, what would you have? Very large hands. <laughs> Seems right to me, right? If it took eight men 10 hours to build a wall, how long would it take four men to build the wall? No time at all because the wall was already built. <laughs> Last one. How can you drop a raw egg onto a concrete floor without cracking it? Any way you want. Concrete floors are very hard to crack. Now. You have to at least admit this student gave what appeared to be right answers. But 
They really weren't. In his mind, they were, but they were not. They, he missed them. In other words, this student was stumped, didn't even know it. He didn't have a clue. He was clueless, and yet thought he was. Now, the where question that we're asking this morning actually begs a question. Because before you can answer the question, where do I go after I die, you actually have to ask a prior question that was asked thousands of years ago by a man by the name of Job. Job asked this question, if someone dies, will they live again? If someone dies, will they live again? In other words, Job said, is death a period in the sentence of life or is it just a comma? Is, is this all there is to this or is there something more? Because, and that's a very important question because life does have something in common with a street and a book and a movie. You know what that is? They all have endings. Books have endings. Stories have endings. Movies have endings. Life has an ending. Your life has an ending just as surely as it had a beginning. So the first question we have to answer is this question. Do you believe in life after death? Because if you don't believe in life after death, the whole question's kind of a, a moot point. There was a young man, I was reading about this the other day. There was a young man that, that um, called into his office and uh, told his boss he's going to have to miss two days from work because his, of his grandmother's funeral. And the boss said, no problem. I, I certainly understand. I send my condolences. Well, when he showed up back at work after, his uh, at, you know, after the funeral, uh, his boss came up to him and he said, hey, John, could you come into my office for a minute? I got a question for you. And he said, sure. So he came in and he said, um, do, do you believe in life after death? And guy had a you know, puzzled look on his face and he said, well, yes, I do. Boy, his boss said, man, that makes me feel so much better. And the young man said, well, why? What are you, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, yesterday while you were attending your grandmother's funeral, she dropped by to visit you. Now, you know, you, you, obviously, I do believe in life after death. And I would say that most of us, if not all of us in this room, believe in life after death. And frankly, there really is only one of two viewpoints. Either you do or you don't. Either you believe that when you die, that's it, that's the end. You just kind of go into nothingness. Or you do believe there's something else after this life. Now, whether you do or whether you don't, here's the point. Even if you do believe that there's life after death, there's a big difference in opinion of what happens after death if you believe that life continues. What I want you to understand is the only stark choice is that either this life is all there is or there's something more. Now, let me just say this in passing. If you hold to this purely materialistic, secular view that this life is all there is, there is no life after death, I want you to understand what you're saying you really believe. Because there are a lot of people who want to believe. In fact, I think there are a lot of people who even hope that there's nothing after this because they don't want to be accountable to a God. They don't want to have to answer for what they've done. They want to feel like they are the master of their fate. They're the captain of their ship. So they're just fine if nothing else takes place, and when we die, that's the end. But if you happen to believe that, or if you know somebody happens to believe that, they need to understand what they're really saying. And Dr. William Lane Craig puts it this way. If each individual person passes out of existence when he dies, what ultimate meaning can be given to his life? Does it really matter whether he really ever existed at all? It might be said that his life was important, because it influenced others or affected the course of history. 
But this shows only a relative significance to his life, not an ultimate significance. His life may be important relative to certain other events, but what is the ultimate significance to any of those events? If all the events were meaningless, then what can be the ultimate significance of influence, influencing any of them? Ultimately, it makes no difference at all. Now, Dr. Craig is exactly right, because here's what he was basically saying. If there's no life after death, then none of the other questions we've been asking even matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter why you think you're here. It doesn't matter what you believe is right or wrong. Because if there's really no life after death, and I'll tell you who we are, we're nobody. It really doesn't matter why we're here because there's no way to even know why you're here. And, and what standards do you live by, they certainly don't matter. Because whether you live a good life or you live a bad life in the end, if the end is the end, then what happened before the end has no meaning at all. So that's why I hope you at least understand it does have great importance whether or not you even believe there is life after death. But assuming that you do, now we're back to the question, okay, so what happens after I die? What is the biblical answer to that question? Well, I think one of the best and perhaps the most comprehensive answer given in the entire Bible was written by a man by the name of Paul. He was a disciple of Christ who actually met Jesus after he died. He met Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead. And the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth a letter. And I want you to turn to this letter if you've got a copy of God's Word or an iPad or a smartphone or whatever you use. I want you to turn to a book called 2 Corinthians. That's right after 1 Corinthians. And it's not too far after Matthew. If you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what I want to do is I want to share with you what I believe Paul wrote and why I believe that it is the best explanation that I can find of the reality of what happens after we die. I think what Paul said, when I think you'll see, best fits the reality of both life and death, what happens when we die and where we go after we die. Because the first thing he states is very obvious. All right, first thing he tells us is this. We're going to die physically. Now, you know that. I get that. I know you know it. But I want you to listen to how he describes how this is going to happen. Here's what he says in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, just Let me just show you this. He says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. Now, the word for home literally means house. And what's very interesting is Paul describes our bodies as houses. Paul says, if you want to think of your body in the right way, think of your body as a house. So in other words, right now, I'm looking at a bunch of houses. I'm looking at some big houses. I'm looking at some tall houses. I'm looking at some beautiful houses. I'm looking at some, we'll just call them fixer-uppers and just kind of leave it at that, okay? But I'm looking at some houses. Now, this is what, important, this is what I want you to understand because I, you, what Paul is really telling us is this, don't confuse you with your house. I live in a house, but my house is not me. 
Don't confuse you with your house. You are not your body. You live in your body. Your body is the house that you live in. A dog lives in a dog house. A human lives in a human house. And here's what happens. You move into your house when you're born, and you move out of the house when you die. It's just a house. See, in a real sense, people don't get sick. Bodies get sick. People don't grow old. Bodies grow old. You say, where do you get that idea? Well, this is what Paul meant back up in chapter 4, verse 16, when he said this. He says, so we don't lose heart. Though our inner self, that's who you really are. Though our inner self is, I mean, our outer self, that's your body. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, that's who we really are, is being renewed day by day. Day. In other words, Paul said, and I've met people like this, Paul said it's possible to be growing older on the outside while you're growing younger on the inside. You know, it's refreshing to meet old people who think young. It's refreshing to see people who say, I do not let my physical age dictate my mental attitude. I just don't do that. Paul said you can do that. It's possible while your outer body or outer spirit is, is, is wasting away your outer self for your inner self to be renewed day by day. Now, Paul refers to our outer nature or our body. He says it's wasting away. You know what that word wasting away literally means? It means to decay. And if you think about it, that's exactly what houses do. Over time, houses decay. Over time, houses grow old. If you've lived in a house long enough, you know this. Things begin to fall apart. The paint begins to peel off. The plumbing has to be replaced. And the truth of the matter is, I've got some bad news for you. You can repaint your house. You can refinish your house. You can refurbish your house. You can strengthen the hinges. You can replace the doors. But the house that you live in is going to decay. Now, that raises a question. You say, well, why did God build decay into our house? Why in the world would God put us into a body that is actually dying from the moment it's born? Real simple. Because this body was never meant to be our final house. This body was never meant to be our final home. See, God never wants us to be totally at home in this home because this home is not our home. I will say that again. God never, ever wants us to be totally at home in this home because this home is not our home. Your body has an expiration date. Your soul has a moving date. One day, God's going to say to your body, done with you, don't need you anymore, you're done, you're finished, your, your body's going to expire, and God's going to say to your soul, time to move out. We're going to be evicted from this house. We're going to have to move out. We are going to die. That's exactly what Paul tells us. He says, we are going to die physically. Now, so far, you say, okay, haven't told me anything. I haven't, you know, heard, didn't tell me anything I didn't know. I've never actually thought about my body as a house. You know, that kind of makes sense. And my body's decaying, and the plumbing goes bad, and the doors are falling apart, and, you know, I get all of that, okay? You got medicine for those things, by the way, all right? But listen, he says, we're going to die physically. But then he tells us this. He says, we're going to exist supernaturally. We're going to die physically, but we're going to exist 
supernatural. Now, now we come to the big question. You say, okay, so when my heart takes its last beat, and when my lungs takes its last breath, and when my eyes see no more, when my ears hear no more, when my mouth speaks no more, at that moment when everything shuts down and I moved out, what happens? Now, here's I want you to stay with me because it gets a little deep. Two things are going to happen, not just one, two things. Now, one is going to happen immediately. The other is going to happen ultimately. And what I want to do is I want to take them in reverse order. I'm not going to do what happens immediately first. I want to do what happens ultimately because that's what Paul takes us to first. Here's what Paul says. He said, when this tent, when this house decays, when this house falls apart, when this house collapses, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, what Paul is talking about there is our resurrection body, our brand new body. See, here's what he's been telling us. He said, while you're here, your body is an earthly house. But on the other side of eternity, it will be an eternal home. This body is mortal. That body is immortal. This body is vulnerable. That body will be invincible. This body can, can, can get sick and die, but that body will be forever healthy and will live for eternity. This body, he says, this house is not going to be man-made. It's going to be God-made. It's not going to be a natural body. It's going to be a supernatural body. So he goes on to say this in verse 2. He said, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. In other words, what Paul said is, as you get older and your body begins to fall apart and, and you have trouble with the plumbing and, you, you know, your eyesight begins to go or your ear, your hearing begins to go and, 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 and the decay starts to set in, we all know this. Physically, we all wish we were 25 again. Maybe not in life, but physically, we, we, we all wish we were back in that day, those of us who were older. You wish you were back in that day when, when you didn't have all the aches and you didn't have all the pains and you didn't have all the medical bills and you didn't have all the physical problems. And, and Paul said, I, I get it. We groan. We're looking forward to having a, a, a brand new body that's not subject to all this. And he said, this is the problem. This body is, is th that he's talking about here, this body is not made on earth, it's made in heaven. And our new body will not be subject to physical laws, it will be subject to heavenly laws, which means it will no longer be bound in the chains of mortality. We're going to have a body that sin cannot corrupt and death cannot kill. I mean, you think about this, can you imagine a body where there will be no need for checkups because it will always be healthy? A body where there's no need for exercise because it'll always be strong. No need for medicine because it will always be well. No need for beds because it will always be rested. Now, I realize when I get into this kind of territory, I just open up a Pandora's box of questions, and, and you're probably asking them right now. You're probably thinking to yourself, well, hey, can I ask a question? So what, what's, what's my new body going to look like? What, what is my new body going to feel like? What, what color will it be? What texture uh, will it have? And will I look like I look now? I, I have a three-word answer for all those questions. I don't know. I, I just, the Bible doesn't tell us. I, I don't know. Here's the one thing that I do know. Whatever new permanent body you be, you, we will be given, you will be totally happy with it. 
you'll be absolutely, completely satisfied with it. You'll never even, you'll never even think about having plastic surgery. I mean, you're going to have a body, you're going to say, hey, no need to Photoshop, no need for touch-ups, no need for makeup, no need for Botox. This new body is going to be tailor-made, custom-fitted, crafted by God, absolutely perfect. Now, that is ultimately what's going to happen when we die. When Jesus comes and we're all together with him, that's what's going to happen. But that doesn't really answer the big question. Here's what we all want to know. I want to know at the exact moment when my eyes close the last time. I want to know at the exact moment when I breathe my last. I want to know at the exact moment when the doctor says, he's gone, she's gone. What happens at that exact moment? Here's what Paul says. He says, we're going to live eternally. We're going to die physically. We're going to exist forever supernaturally. But at the moment that we die, we're going to live eternally. Now, let's answer the question. So, what happens the moment that I die? What can I expect? What can I really expect to happen? Well, Paul leaves no doubt. Because now Paul's going to tell us immediately what happens when we die. And by the way, when I talk about we, I'm talking about those of us who know Christ. I'm talking about those of us who've given, who've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who have a personal relationship with Christ. He said, this is what happens the moment that we die. We're down in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. Why? Because we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Let me just stop right there. What he's saying is, when you're at home in the body, you're not at home. When you're at home in the body, you're not at home. Because remember what I said, this home was never meant to be our home. So he says, while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, when a follower of Jesus dies, does his soul sleep? Paul said no. Does, does he kind of go into some kind of a limbo like purgatory? No. Paul says the moment that you die, you are instantly transported into the presence of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand what I'm telling you. When you die, you do not immediately move into your new body because that body's still being built. That body's still being prepared. There's a time when you're going to move out of this house. But, you know, like most people, there are a lot of times, if you've ever, maybe you've done this before, maybe you decide to build a new house, right? So you, you, you sell the house that you live in now, but the house that you're building is not yet finished. So you move all your stuff into storage, and maybe you live in an apartment for a, for a few months or whatever until the new house is finished. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying here that when you die, you don't immediately move into your new body. There's a time you move out of this house, but you don't yet move into your new house. Why is that? Because everybody's going to get their new house at the same time. Everybody's going to move into their new house at the same time. But after death, Paul says, our spirits go into the presence of God. By the way, that shouldn't surprise you, and you already ought to know that, because that is exactly what happened with Jesus. You remember when he, when he breathed his last on the cross? You remember one of the things that he said? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my, what's that word? 
spirit. He didn't say, Father, into your hands I commit my body. Why didn't he? Because his body was still on the cross. He committed his spirit. You remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, his body wasn't going to be with Jesus because his body died that day. His body was buried that day. He said, you're going to be with me. Now, your body won't be with me, but your spirit is going to be with me. You know, Woody Allen famously said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Now, in a way, he's right. So what do you mean? Let me give you an illustration. One of these days, this house that you see is going to collapse like a house of cards. I had a professor at, uh, at Southern Seminary, funny guy, funny, and I loved him. He's an Old Testament professor. His name's Dr. Clyde Francisco. Dr. Francisco Francisco was a great, great professor, and uh, one of our one of the best professors I ever had. One of our one of the most popular professors. Dr. Francisco was preaching in a church. This is years after I left the seminary. Dr. Francisco was preaching in a church, and he said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I could think of nothing better than to die right now preaching about Jesus on this platform and drop dead. Right there on the platform, drop dead. One of these days, this house of mine is going to collapse like a deck of cards. Now, here's the good news. I won't be there when it happens. If I were to drop dead like Dr. Francisco did, if I were to drop dead walking, Paul said, your spirit will be with Jesus before your body hits the ground. You know, as you know, my mom died this year. What gave me such great comfort when I went to the funeral home was, and, and I looked into the casket, what gave me such great comfort and realized, well, that's not my mom. My mom's not there. That's the house. Mom's gone. Mom, mom, mom is, is, is out of there because it is impossible to bury a follower of Jesus. When we took her to the graveside up in Gainesville, we didn't bury her body. We buried, we, we didn't bury her, we buried her body. And, and, and so I could look into that casket and, and, and you know, frankly, it didn't even really look to mom, like mom to me, and even though they did a great job, it didn't even look like mom to me. But, but, but just looking at that casket, I realized I'm not looking at her. She was with Jesus. I mean, the moment you die, Paul said, the instant you die, you go into the presence of the Lord. There, there was a man one time who died, and his name was Mr. Pease. And on his tombstone, they wrote these words. They said, beneath these clouds and beneath these trees lies the body of Solomon Pease. But this ain't Pease. It's just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. And, and, and that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. We just shell out. The, the pod's left behind. We go to be with the Lord. It's like a guy said about a pastor said about a guy one time at his funeral. He said, that, that's, not the, that's just the shell. The nut has departed. And, and that's exactly what happens. You absolutely go to be with the Lord. And that's why Paul says you should never fear death. Because listen to what we read now in verse 5. Listen to this. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Now watch this. Who has given us the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. Now, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, from the time that you and I were born, from the time that you and I drew our very first breath, from the time that you did that and the time you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God 
began preparing you to spend eternity with him. God has made us what we are now so that one day he might remake us into what we ought to be. By the way, that word prepared, that word prepared is very, very huge. Let me tell you why. Because you're not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And you're not prepared to die until you're ready to receive what God has prepared for you. Now, this is the place, this is the body where eternity is decided. This is the place where decisions are made. This is the place where character is formed. But what Paul is saying is this place is temporary. This body is temporary. This building is temporary. This land is temporary. This country is temporary. This world is temporary. God has not made us for this earth. He has made us for heaven. God has not made us for this body. He has made us for his body. That's why when you die, this is not the end. And it was never meant to be. There's so much more to life than this. And see, this, this is what I love. This is why I love having God's word. You don't have to consult a fortune teller or a Ouija board or an astrologer or a deck of cards to find out what lies on the other side of death. God has already told us all that we ever need to know and all we will know. Because listen to this last statement one more time. Listen to this. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know what? That's one of the ways you can know you're truly a child of God. When you can honestly say, you know, deep, deep down, I really would rather be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. One of the questions I've been asked, I guess ever since I became a pastor, people ask all the time, so, so where is heaven? You know, we, we, we tend to look up, you know, then that's kind of a biblical way to do it. You know, when you think about hell, you look down, right? When you think about heaven, you look up. And so people sometimes say, do you, you really believe heaven's, you know, up there, out there, what, you know, wherever? I, I can tell you exactly where heaven is. I know the exact location. Heaven is where Jesus is. That's where heaven is. See, here's where we get hung up. <laughs> People get, you know, we look at these streets of gold and we look at these pearly gates. We look at all this, and, and I, I want you to get this in your mind. It's not the streets of gold that make heaven heaven. It's not the pearly gates that make heaven heaven. It's not even all the people that have already gone to heaven that makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's heaven. Everywhere Jesus goes, that is heaven. And Paul said, when we die, the moment we draw our last breath, Paul said, even before that breath gets out of your mouth, your spirit will go to be with Jesus. Years ago, in my former church, I, I pastored this sweet couple. Some of you will know their name. I won't call their last name, but their, their name was Henry and Elaine. Sweet couple kind of a very soft-spoken, one of those kind of couples that kind of was always in the background. They were always there. They are always faithful. They were when the door of the church was open. One of those, you know, just sweet people, very supportive, but just, you know, didn't speak a lot, didn't say a lot, but just very, very, very kind people. Well, Henry became terminally ill with cancer, 
And it was a hard death, and, 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 and in his last days, he kind of went into a semi-comatose state. He would kind of be in and out, and even when he was in, he, he really wasn't even in. He, he really didn't communicate well, and he didn't talk at all. So there were several days there that, that, the, that even the nurses told Elaine, I, I'm not even sure if he can hear you or not, but you can try. You can talk to him, because you never know whether he can or not. We don't know. Well, she was really hoping that Henry would say something to her one more time before he died, but it didn't look like that was going to happen. And the nurses had even said to her, you probably have said your last word to Henry. Well, just before he died, he rallied. And Elaine said he was sitting, laying there in the bed, and he said all of a sudden he just opened his eyes like he'd been asleep, just opened his eyes, and he said he was looking right at Elaine. And she kind of leaned over. He couldn't talk very loud, and... and uh, he said something, and, and she said, Henry, what did you say? He said, Elaine, I've been talking to Jesus. She said, really, Henry? What did he say? And these were his last words. He said, Elaine, he just told me, Henry, I'm going to take you home. And that's exactly what happened. And one of these days, that's what's going to happen to us. We don't know when, don't know where, don't know how. But one of these days, it might even be in an instant of a second, of a millisecond, of a moment. Jesus is going to say to us, James, Pete, Chris, Larry, Mike, I'm going to take you home. This is not your home. I'm your home. And I am coming to take you home. And you see, to a believer, that's what happens every single time. Because thankfully, because of the Word of God, we can always know that with Jesus, death is never the end. It's just the beginning. Let's pray together.